0: Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesome podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you
1: by Proverbs sixteen eighteen: 18. Pride going before destruction.
0: Hello, Truth Transistors. Welcome to part or uh, episode 19, uh, Apostasy Part 7, which we'll be talking about Mormonism today. And just like everything else, I would like to preface that I'm not attacking all Mormons. I'm mainly attacking the theology and those at, at the very top and the beginnings of it uh, and all of that. So um, I think there's good, sincere people. That go to a Mormon church. I just want to. Uh, w- I believe it's a loving thing to do to tell somebody if they are in a dangerous place or in a bad place. So, that's what we'll be talking about today. First, I want to talk a little bit about um, living here in Texas. Over the last month, uh, uh, about three weeks ago, we had a terrible freeze, which is very unusual in Dallas. Or um, in Texas and the south, and it got down at least where I am to one degree, <laughs> and it was below uh, freezing for probably eight, nine days in a row, and um, below 20 for probably five of those days in a row. And we got snow, which was nice, but the roads were kind of dangerous. Um, people down here, and myself included, were not used to driving, uh, and we don't really have the equipment, the city doesn't have the equipment to really help make it safe, and we don't necessarily have, you know, the kinds of tires and and things that they have up north, perhaps, that enables them to perhaps be more mobile, (laughs) but um, I didn't do much that week. Um, I have to do a lot of driving for work, so I was just kind of on call for what I do, which is service swimming pools. Um, you you may think, well, it doesn't matter, nobody's swimming, but there's this issue of um, freeze guards, meaning that the equipment has to continually run because if the water freezes, um, it the it expands and breaks pipes. It can break equipment and The problem was it wasn't you know in most cases um, freeze guards were working there was a few cases in which the electricity went out and you probably heard about that here in Texas some people worse than others where they were out of electricity for several days in a row some it might have just been for eight hours but that's long enough for things to freeze when it's that cold and I'm talking under 10 degrees now and in another in a couple of other cases they didn't lose electricity however the freeze guard didn't work so um i've probably got about seven or eight uh pools that were ruined um pipes and things and now we've got a problem because the wholesaler that sells pool parts um is out of a lot of things because all the big companies swept in and bought everything out (laughs) and so I it may be weeks before I can get what I need to fix these things and I'm one of the you know I started my company two years ago so I I still do all the work myself I haven't it's not big enough to hire anybody so I'm kinda at this place where I'm waiting and and uh, hopefully get things fixed but you probably heard about um even if you didn't live here you may have heard about a lot of the things going on here in Texas because apparently Texas has its own power grid and I'm not exactly sure how that all works and I never knew that before now the thing that confuses me is that I've been hearing now that the bill the electric bill can be like over in the thousands and it doesn't make any sense to me because if people were without power wouldn't that mean less power was running? And also, wouldn't that mean? Um, well, so here's the thing. So, like, as a pool pool guy, if I don't show up, like la- that week that it froze, I, w- I was didn't drive around, so I didn't show up to to the pools that week. I don't charge if I can't make it. Um, so you know, it's it's one of those things. In most services, if you if it's not working or you don't get your service they don't charge you for that that they normally would I would think but when it comes to these big billionaire type companies it they live in a, under a different set of rules so I I don't understand all that I don't understand why the prices would go up that month when they weren't using as much energy because the power grids froze and all that stuff which is their fault um, so I mean Anyway, if somebody could explain that to me, remember anything that you have to say, uh, if you want to get in a hold of me, email me truth transistor radio at gmail.com. And uh, if you were in the south and uh in Texas area or in any of those states that was having that bad freeze, then let me know about your experience. Thankfully, I did not lose power. Uh, I did lose water for a couple of days and it was kinda my fault because I didn't leave the faucets um, you know dripping and you would think as a pool guy I would know better (laughs) but it's a little different than what I'm dealing with Uh, and plus I was on the phone a lot that week um, taking calls from customers and trying to explain to them how to uh, winterize their pool over the phone since I couldn't drive to their house but what I yeah so my pipes um, froze um, or they didn't I didn't get any water for a couple of days and then suddenly I got water but um, there appeared to be a leak in the bathroom and uh, I started getting a puddle and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from but as of right now the pipes are capped off and um this the bathroom sink is not not work not functional right now but everything else is so I didn't there was people that had it much worse than me I had electricity I had power I had a heater my parents did not um, for an extended amount of time I think it was like 8 to 15 hours and then they would for a couple of hours get power and then they would lose it again and they live with my mom's parents. Or my mom's parents lived with them, I should say. Um, And they were offered to go stay at a neighbor's house, you know, but my grandparents didn't want to leave, so they all slept, the four of them slept in the living room with the fireplace on. So that is uh, a little bit about what's happened since the last time I did a podcast all right so before we get into mormonism i'm going to play a funny bit this is me and my brother Um, i did a series of some from with me and my cousin and i have to quickly uh i want to say that all of these are ad-libbed and uh you know the one with my cousin the ones with my cousin and the ones with my brothers that i'm going to start now um and they're somewhat funny sometimes dumb but just remember we're kids Actually, in these, I might have been already like 20 years old, and my brother might have been 12, I think. So, uh, it's kind of silly, but this is my podcast, so I can do what I want. Farting, farting, one, two, three, farting.
1: Okay, class. And today, we're going to learn about flowers. Joe... what is a flower? A flower is something that grows out in the field. Good. So now, let's open our mouth. <laughs> <laughs> don't laugh. Now, I want you to write Don't repeat yourself 20 times on the board. But sir, we didn't study flowers. Okay, then say don't repeat yourself 20 times right now. Don't repeat yourself, don't repeat yourself, don't repeat, don't okay. repeat yourself. Okay, now,
2: let's open our math books
1: to page two. <laughs> <laughs> what is one plus One. One. Correct. (laughs) Okay. Now, open your reading books. (laughs) Read. (laughs) Stop laughing. Read that word right there. Career? No, it's (laughs) crew-rear. Get it? Career? No, we're going to go outside and play with blocks. But black, But we don't have any blocks. Yes, we do. You're a block? But, but we didn't study blocks. <laughs> well, there's some blockheads in the school. Well, we can bag them around. But I don't want to learn about the rockheads in school, because the rockheads are filled with rock and if they filled Not with rock rockheads, blockheads. Oh, and if I bang uh, their heads together, they'll follow me. And they'll hook somebody bottom. Whatever. No. <laughs> I want you all to meet my son. Herman Verne. I mean, Vernon Herm. I mean, Herm, Herm Vernon. I mean, Herman Vern. Whatever. Don't even know your son's name? No, because he's like you. <laughs> now, son, come in here. Introduce yourself. My name is Herman Vern. I mean, Vernon Herm. I mean, Vernon, Herman, Vern, and Herm. And Vern and Herm. I mean, Vernon, did your family ever recognize their names? Yes. Yes, I tell you. Yes. Dad, let me out. Let me out. I can't stand this any longer. Let me out. Okay. I mean, okay. Shut up.
0: Now that we've gotten that seriousness out of the way, (laughs) um, the important stuff, let's get into uh, talking about uh, Mormonism and what it is. Um, I just got this new microphone, so I don't know if I'm too close, so I'll move it away a little bit. I think it was a little too loud. Anyway, I'm going to read some... I don't know if i'm gonna read the whole chapter but it's from a book by walter martin called the kingdom of the cults and he has a chapter on mormonism so i would recommend uh walter martin's videos and books so check look him up historical perspective the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints is distinctive among all the religious cults and sects active in the united states in that it has by far the most fascinating history and one worthy of consideration by all students of religions originating on the American continent. The Mormons is the common name for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with its headquarters in Salt Lake City, Utah. The Mormon Church's growth is due largely to their worldwide missionary program numbering 16.2 million adherents In 2018 now I was trying to find the most recent data Um, I found one from April 4th 2020 it said it topped 16.5 million Um, but there a later article says in January as of January of 2021 the numbers have been declining but I couldn't find any exact numbers so let's move Uh, on here. The average active Mormon is usually marked by many sound moral traits. He is generally amiable, almost always hospitable, and extremely devoted to his family and to the teachings of his church. Sad to say, however, the great majority of Mormons are in almost total ignorance of the shady historical and theological sources of their religion they are openly sh- uh, shocked at times when the unglamorous and uh, unchristian background or definitely unchristian background of the mormon church is revealed to them this little known fact of mormonism is a side of the coin that innumerable mormon historians have for years either hidden from their people or glossed over in an attempt to to suppress certain verifiable and damaging historical evidences such evidence the author has elected to review in the interest of obtaining a full picture of joseph smith's religion early mormonism history joseph smith jr the prophet better known to residents of palmyra new york as just plain joe smith was born in sharon vermont december 23rd 1805 the fourth child of Lucy and Joseph Smith. Number two, Joseph Smith Jr. was a mystic. Interesting how that term uh, pops up a lot when we talk about these cults. A man who spent much of his time digging for imagery, buried treasure. Uh, he was particularly addicted to Captain Kidd's legendary hoard. Besides this failing, uh, he sometimes attempted to mint his own money. Which at least once brought him into decided conflict with the local constabulary. Uh, uh, the, this fact is, of course, well known to any informed student of Mormonism. In 1820, Joseph Smith Jr. claimed a heavenly vision that he said singled him out as the Lord's anointed prophet for this dispensation, though it was not until 1823. With the appearance of the angel Moroni at the Quaking Smith's bedside, that Joe began his relationship to the fabulous golden plates of what has to be has what was to become the Book of Mormon. Now it makes me think of this passage in the Bible. Um, this is my own insert here. Um, Galatians one, starting in verse six, Paul wrote. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Now, um, I brought that up because, you know, the Bible talks about Satan appearing as an angel of light or fallen angels or demons can appear as an angel of light. And according to Joseph Smith, an angel revealed this, the contents of the Book of Mormon to him. So I wanted to point that out real quick. According to Smith's account of this extraordinary revelation, which is recorded in the Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith, History 1, 29-54, the angel Moroni, the glorified son of one Mormon, uh, the man for whom the famous book of the same name is entitled, appeared beside Joseph's bedside and thrice repeated his commission, to the allegedly awestruck treasure hunter smith did not write this account down until some years later but even that fails to excuse the blunder he made in transmitting the angelic proclamation this confusion appears in the 1851 edition of the pearl of great price wherein joseph smith identifies the messenger as Nephi, an entirely different character found in the Book of Mormon. Now, a couple of thoughts here, my insert. Um, First of all, it could be that Joseph Smith made this up, and that's why there's a discrepancy in the name. Um, Or there could have been two different uh, angels, or, you know, who knows. But I find this interesting because Nephi sounds a lot like Nephilim. And, you know, I don't know if there's any correlation there or not, but um, if you read Genesis 6, um, some translations call it, say, giants, but it has to do with the sons of God, which many people believe are fallen angels. But anyway, I digress. This unfortunate crossing up of the divine communication system was later remedied by thoughtful Mormon scribes who have exercised great care to ferret out all the historical and factual blunders not readily explainable in the writings of Smith, Young, and other early Mormon writers. In current editions of The Pearl of Great Price, Moroni is identified as the nighttime visitor. However, the historical contradiction of whether Nephi or Moroni carried the message to Smith apparently makes little difference to the faithful. What cannot be erased so easily is the original handwritten manuscript, History of the Church, that contains this error, which was supervised by Joseph Smith during his lifetime. Later in 1842, these manuscripts formed the basis of the published history of Mormonism, again overseen by Smith, where Nephi appears again as the revelatory angel. The first edition of the Pearl of Great Price, 1851, with the subtitle choice selections of revelations translations and narrations of joseph smith also contained the name nephi because the published history of mormonism set this foundation in 1827 smith claimed to receive the golden plates upon which the book of mormon is alleged to have been written shortly after this historic find unearthed in the hill kumara near Palmyra, New York, Smith began to translate the Reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics, inscribed thereupon by means of the Urim and Thumen, a type of miraculous spectacles which the angel Moroni had the foresight to provide for the budding seer. And I want to quickly insert a thought here. It's interesting that he wanted to translate the Egyptian hieroglyphics, given that, you know, in past episodes I've talked about the mystery schools, mystery religions, that goes back to Egyptian ideas and symbolism, so I don't know, Uh, that's kind of strange. A whirlwind of contradictory accounts swirled through Smith's early history, particularly concerning his seer stones, first vision, translation work, revelations, and priesthood restoration from the now-hallowed state of Pennsylvania, immortalized by Smith's initiation into the priesthood of Aaron by John the Baptist. Joseph returned shortly to the home of Peter Whitmer in Fayette, New York, where he remained until the translation from the plates was completed and the book of mormon published and copyrighted in the year 1830 on april 6 of the same year the prophet in company with the brothers hiram and samuel oliver crowdy Cow- cowder sorry cowdery and david and peter whitmer jr officially founded a new religious society entitled the church of christ in 1830 renamed Church of the Latter-day Saints in 1834. I kind of wonder if, the I'll have to do some research here, if the Church of Christ, which is a denomination, um, if that's the same one. Uh, And finally, as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 1838, thus, it was the one of the more virulent strains of American cults came into existence, Mormonism, had begun in earnest. Sidney Rigdon Parley P. Pratt and his younger brother Orson Pratt, it should be noted, were almost from the day of their conversations slated for greatness in the Mormon hierarchy, and it is their writings along with those of Brigham Young, Charles Penrose, and James Talmage, that best argue in favor of the Mormon cause even to this day. Mormon sacred texts. Aside from the King James version of the Bible, which the Mormons accept as part of the word of God, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. Uh, Pearl of great price, eighth article of faith. I've noticed a lot of cults will do that. (laughs) They'll claim that they have the true translation uh, or, you know, that the original Bible, which apparently doesn't exist anywhere except in their own uh, revelation or whatever. Um, but in none of the manuscripts does it say, match up to that. Anyway, to this they have added the Doctrine of the and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and the initial volume, the Book of Mormon, all canonized as author, authorized scripture, the four standard works. The last mention is the subject of this chapter since it occupies a pivotal place in Mormon theology and history and therefore must be carefully examined. A great deal of research on the part of a number of able scholars and organizations has already been published concerning the Book of Mormon and we have drawn heavily upon whatever documented and verifiable information was available. The task of validating the material was enormous, and so we have selected that information which has been verified beyond refutation and is available today in some of our leading institutions of learning Stanford University, Union Theological Seminary, the research departments of the Library of Congress, the New York Public Library, and others. It is a difficult task to evaluate the complex structure of the book of mormon and the reader is urged to consider the bibliography included in the full version of the kingdom of the cults if he should desire further and more exhaustive studies now i want to say this that there's all kinds of commentaries on the bible some are better than others but when i'm looking for theology true theology i try to avoid those i might read them to understand a certain perspective but i do not i try not to interpret the bible through commentaries now uh the next few pages discusses the scientific uh evidence against the book of mormon which i'm not going to read here but if you are interested in that Again, look up this book, The Kingdom of the Colts, handbook by Walter Martin. But I'm going to skip ahead here. Theological Evaluation, The Priesthoods. The Mormon Church almost from its inception has claimed what no other church today claims to possess, the priesthoods of Aaron and Melchizedek. The Mormons maintain that Joseph Smith and Oliver Cow- Cowdery received the Aaronic priesthood from the hand of John the Baptist on May 15th, 1829. Not sure how John the Baptist got there, but... And that, the Melchizedek priesthood was conferred upon Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery Cowdery, through the ministration of Peter, James, John shortly after the conferring of the Aaronic, Aaronic order. In the theology of Mormonism, both the Melchizedek and Aaronic orders are considered to be but one priesthood without beginning of days or end of years. And that's in the Doctrine and Covenants 84:17. And through the authority of this priesthood alone, they maintain men speak and act in the name of the Lord for the salvation of humanity. In order that this may be clearly understood, the following quotation from the leading Mormon volume on the subject of the priesthood must be considered. This authoritative priesthood is designed to assist men in all of life's endeavors, both temporal and spiritual. Consequently, there are divisions of offices of the priesthood, each charged with a definite duty fitting a special human need. The prophet Joseph Smith once said that all all priesthood is Melchizedek. This is to say that the Melchizedek priesthood embraces all offices and authorities in the priesthood. This is clearly stated in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 5, quote, all other authorities or offices in the church are appendages to this, Melchizedek priesthood, unquote. There are two priesthoods spoken of in the scriptures, uh, viz. the Melchizedek and the Aaronic or Levitical. Although there are two priesthoods, yet the Melchizedek priesthood comprehends the Aaronic and Levitical priesthood and, th- and is the grand head and holds the highest authority that per- pertains to the priesthood, and the keys of the kingdom of God in all ages of the world to the latest posterity on the earth, and is the channel through which all knowledge, doctrine, the plan of salvation, and every important matter is revealed from heaven. The Mormon concept of the priesthood holds that God has placed in the ch- that church presidents, apostles, high priests, and 70s, I'm not sure what that is, elders, and that the various offices all share specific authorities. The president of the church, they maintain, may hold and dispense the powers of the administrative responsibilities of that office. The power of the priesthood is decentralized. First, according to the offices and the jurisdictions of those respective offices second according to individual priesthood bearers this means that while the church as a whole is de- delicately responsive to central authority for church-wide purposes the central local relationships in the organization do not restrict the full initiative and free development of either territorial divisions of the church individual quorums, groups of quorums, or the member as an individual. The priesthood provides a functional instrumentality for church government that is at once efficient and responsible and centralization, but flexible, decentralized in actual administration. It is therefore apparent that Mormon theology, the priesthood, occupies a position of great importance and comprehends nearly every male member of the church above the age of 12 in one capacity or another. And therefore, by necessity, the refutation of the Mormon claims to its possession undercuts the very foundations of Mormonism, With the foregoing in mind, let us examine the scriptures that most thoroughly refute the Mormon contentions. The scripture indeed provides a wealth of information. In the seventh chapter of the epistle to the Hebrews, Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem and priest of the Most High God, is mentioned briefly in contention with Abraham. The authority of of Hebrews points out, that the priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to the Aaronic priesthood and the administrations of the Levites because Abraham, who was the father of the sons of Levi, paid tithe to Melchizedek. This establishes the fact that Melchizedek was superior to Abraham. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes. But there he received, receiveth them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. That's in Hebrews 7, 7-10. through 10. The establishment of the fact that Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to the Aaronic would be virtually meaningless if the writer of Hebrews had not gone on to say, quote, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there? That another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek, and not be, be called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed, there is made a, of necessity a change also of the law, unquote. It's verses uh, 11 through 12 in Hebrews chapter 7. The whole point of the 7th chapter of Hebrews, as any careful exegesis will reveal, is the fact that Jesus Christ who is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek has by virtue of his sacrifice upon the cross changed the priesthood of Aaron instituting in its place his own priesthood of the Melchizedek order. Christ was not of the tribe of Levi and not of the priesthood of Aaron. He was of the tribe of Judah. This Stinging truth demolishes the Mormon argument for Jesus being of Judah's tribe could never possess the Levite tribal priesthood. The point of Hebrews is to teach that Jesus' priesthood is infinitely superior to that of Aaron. It is quite evident that the Levitical priesthood could not evolve into the Melchizedek priesthood, but that it passed away as symbolized by the tearing of the veil leading to the Holy of Holies at the crucifixion in Matthew 27, verse 51. Now he says a lot more about that, but I'm going to skip ahead to uh, the Mormon doctrine of God. It will be conceded by most informed students of Christianity that one cannot deny the existence of the one true God of Scripture and at the same time lay claim to being a Christian. The New Testament writers, as well as our Lord himself, taught that um, was but one God and all church theologians from the earliest days of church history have affirmed that Christianity is monotheistic in the strictest sense of the term. Indeed, it was this fact that so radically differentiated it and the parental Judaism from the pagan polytheistic societies of Rome and Greece. The Bible is particularly adamant in its declaration that God recognizes the existence of no other deities. In fact, on a number of occasions, the Lord summoned up his uniqueness in the following revelation and he lists some passages in Isaiah uh, 43 10 and 11 44 6 and 8 45 5 and 21 22 to 22 um, all in Isaiah so um, I'm not going to read all that um, but that's kind of a the idea, of course, there's the Trinity where we believe that there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there are three persons and one God. So the point is that there's one God. Uh, but I'm going to skip ahead to the truth about the God of the Mormons. In sharp contrast to the revelations of scriptures are the revelations of Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and the succeeding Mormon prophets So that the reader will have no difficulty understanding what the true Mormon position is concerning the nature of God. The following quotations derived from popular Mormon sources will convey that the Mormons mean, what the Mormons mean when they speak of God. In the beginning, the head of the gods, okay number one, in the beginning the head of gods called a council of the gods and they came together and concocted a plan to create the world and people and and people it i guess populated joseph smith journal of discourses chapter six verse five number two god himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man joseph smith journal of discourses chapter six verse three number three the father has a blood I mean, sorry, the Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. The Son also, but the Holy Ghost, has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage, personage of the Spirit. Doctrine of Covenants, chapter 130, verse 22. Number four, gods exist, and we had better strive to be prepared to be one with them. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, chapter 7, verses 238. Number 5. As man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. Prophet Lorenzo Snow quoted in Milton R. Hunter, The Gospel Through the Ages. Salt Lake City, Stevens and Wallace, 1945, 105-106. So anyway, I'm going to stop reading there, but there's a lot more in that book, The Kingdom of the Cults, handbook by Walter Martin, and I would check it out. But I wanted to uh, emphasize something here. If we, if you've listened to the past episodes, I've talked about the mystery religions and what they believe that that through this hidden knowledge that man can become a god, and I believe that's kind of where they go in Kabbalah and in uh, Gnosticism and uh, through some of the Gnostic cults and, of course, many pagan religions. And so I find that fascinating. And um, next I'm going to talk or or I'm going to play some audio clip of somebody that connects Joseph Smith to Freemasonry. And so I always try to do this with these cults because it's interesting to note that the secret societies of the mystery schools actually do infiltrate Christianity and start something or, you know, change the the true teachings of scripture. But before that, I'm going to play a quick song here called Supreme Being by one of my favorite Christian rap groups, GRITS, which stands for Grammatical Revolution in the Spirit. So here is a song called Supreme Being.
3: Those heavy laden and faded, stayed and unloaded, they troubles. for size, facial distortions, the huge proportions. Morphing from all fish, for shot of spiritual contortions. Uh-rah. Put With the spirit on, like energy, suit, force for Relating a striking resemblance to the Christ I'm imitating. Match made in heaven, factors in seven. news at eleven? At theaters, and you either talk like Toby, Mike, and Kevin. Keeping it real, expressing verbally what I feel. A super sad Squatch who tears it up while the mass watch. Hip hop gorilla, have yet to travel to Manila. When I get there, I'ma shake it up like I'm Godzilla. Uh-rah. The music dropped me in the ground. Uh-rah. The speakers. Make my head pound. Rah! The truth fit that limit rah, rah! I deal to deal to throne supreme. Beats on. Unexplainable, and The voice of the record destination. Ears have not heard, eyes not seen. What other to say these? Unexplainable, of creation. The voice of the record destination. Ears have not heard, eyes have not seen. Other to say for these? Twenty-eight, the years, these 28 years, I seem to peer through eyes and spies of worldly scenery. Steaming me and precious perspiration. Lack expression and proof to tell the truth, no evidence naturally. Can show an illustration only spiritually. A man can understand dimensions shown to me. I'm prone to be banned labeled radically fanatical. Advise to take my words as clever rhyme scheme and poetry. Instead of prophecy and words of knowledge sent from heaven told to me. If you doubt, I understand but can't deny it. Deep within the truth will stand a test of rhyme and never change it just the time. Never claim to know it all but aspire to know the most with like of Solomon's wisdom. For those asleep in coma, those who need awakening. shaking to the point of life and question. Lift the Revealing like removing all obstruction from the site it was commanded now so current he my whole team but demanded by the candidate only gods to breathe on the repentance or creation ba, ba, ba. The voice of the resurrection is of not worth i do what to the these the repentance creation ba, ba, ba. the voice of the record
0: again that was grits look them up they're on itunes and probably some other platforms that you can find them so check that out Um, so the next thing i'm going to play a a clip from is called mormons and freemasonry a satanic occult it's audio from a youtube video under the username r freeman and so here we go this is uh clips from this and this is uh another connection to the mystery religions.
4: Joseph Smith, his father Joseph Sr., and his brother Hiram were actively involved in the occult while living in Palmyra, New York. Joseph Sr. considered his money digging an occupation and often brought Joseph Jr. with him on his expeditions. This involved special rituals and ceremonies which were performed for the purpose of obtaining buried treasure. It is through these expeditions that Joseph found his beloved seer stone which he used to try to locate treasures of gold and silver. Joseph would place his magical rock into a hat and pull the hat up to his face to block out all light. By doing this he claimed he could see supernaturally and would help those who were digging by locating the place where the treasure was buried and observing the spirits that were guarding it. Joseph and his father's money digging continued until at least March of 1826. On March 15, 1842, Joseph joined the Masons, which is an organization that believes Jesus is not divine and is on the same level as Buddha, Muhammad, or any other religious teacher. Within one day, Smith rose to the highest degree, which is the sublime degree. Joseph's Masonic membership affected the development of the Mormon Church in many ways, but the most significant area appears to be in the development of the Mormon temple ceremonies. On May 4th, 1842, only two months after joining the Masons, Joseph introduced the temple endowment ceremony. LDS historian Dr. Reed Durham had this to say about the Masonic influence on the Mormon religion. There is absolutely no question in my mind that the Mormon ceremony, which came to be known as the endowment, introduced by Joseph Smith to Mormon Masons, had an immediate inspiration from Masonry. It is also obvious that the Nauvoo Temple architecture was in part Masonically influenced. Indeed, it appears that there was an intentional attempt to utilize Masonic symbols and motifs. I suggest that enough evidence presently exists to declare the entire institution of the political kingdom of God, including the Council of 50, the Living Constitution, the proposed flag of the kingdom, and the anointing and coronation of the king, had its genesis in connection with Masonic thoughts and ceremonies. It appears that the prophet first embraced masonry, and then in the process, he modified, expanded, amplified, or glorified it. Dr. Durham also said, included in the actual vocabulary of Joseph Smith's counsel and instructions to the sisters were such words as ancient orders, examinations, degrees, candidates, secrets, lodges, rules, signs, tokens, order of the priesthood, and keys, all indicating that the society's orientation possessed Masonic overtones. In April of 1974, Dr. Durham announced an important find, not realizing the implication of his discovery. In his presidential address to the Mormon History Association, he spoke of yet another interesting occultic article called the Jupiter Talisman, which was described by Joseph's wife, Emma, as one of the prophet's intimate possessions. Dr. Durham had this to say about the mystical powers of the talisman. When properly invoked, with Jupiter being very powerful and ruling in the heavens, these intelligences, by the power of ancient magic, guaranteed to the possessor of this talisman the gain of riches and favor and power and love and peace, and to confirm honors and dignities and counsels. Talismatic magic further declared that anyone who worked skillfully with this Jupiter table would obtain the power of stimulating anyone to offer his love to the possessor of the talisman, whether from a friend, brother, relative or even any female. In the same address, Dr. Durham also stated, in some very real and quite mysterious sense, this particular table of Jupiter was the most appropriate talisman for Joseph Smith to possess. Indeed, it seemed meant for him, because on all levels of interpretation, planetary, mythological, numerological, astrological, mystical cabalism, and talismanic magic, the prophet was in every case appropriately described. This is a very significant finding, because we keep close to us the things which we find important, and for Joseph that was riches, power, and his love of women We know that these were the beliefs of Joseph Smith right up until he took his last breath. This talisman was found in Joseph's pocket the day he died in Carthage.
2: Another thing that was really interesting in studying the roots of Mormonism was to find out that Joseph Smith wore a Jupiter's talisman, and uh, his brother Hiram had the family parchment and they kept those on their bodies hidden. Another thing that most Mormons do not realize was that Brigham Young was cut from the same cloth. He wore a bloodstone around his neck as protection until the day he died. One indication we have uh, as an insight into Joseph Smith's character is the value he placed in a particular magic object called a Jupiter's talisman that he had had through his life, we aren't sure just when he first got it, but evidently as a teenager, but he kept it on his person until his death. And a Jupiter's talisman is a magic object that one would use to uh, empower one with uh, money, finances, uh, power over people, power over women. All of these things were items Joseph's life was geared towards. He wanted power, he wanted money, and he wanted women. Uh, The fact that he died with a Jupiter talisman on his body shows that throughout his life he continued to hang on to that hope and that trust in that magic object.
0: So isn't it interesting? um, A lot of key words and and things that are very similar. Um, If you go back to the William Cooper series on my um episodes um and talking about the history and the dogma of the mystery schools um they mentioned some of it here they mentioned kabbalah specifically he talks about mysticism he talks about magic and how joseph smith and brigham young were into these things and a lot of the symbolism within mormonism is similar and you might get a better idea of if you find the video and watch it because this is just the audio from it but in the video it probably shows a lot of that symbolism that's within mormonism that is the same as freemasonry which um, we know freemasonry is one of the mystery schools you know one of the secret societies of the mystery schools now some might question whether um joseph smith or brigham young or whatever were high level but the point is if you look at their theology it's very similar to the mystery religion so um, you know there's possibly you know true christians in lower levels of freemasonry but those that know the true secrets the knowledge the hidden knowledge whatever that's supposed to give them eternal life or make them gods which is basically what mormonism teaches you know, that is the, that's a heresy, regardless of where Joseph Smith got it from. You know, he claims that he saw an angel, um, and he may have, but it, may, it was if it was, it was a fallen angel, not an angel of God, because the teachings that he has contradict scripture, just as Kabbalah does, just as Gnosticism, you know, just as Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, Islam... And the other ones that I've discussed so far in this series so um, so that's a little uh, you know description of Mormonism I've just scratched the surface today but like I said check the kingdom of cults of the cults handbook by Walter Martin um, there's some other good resources and documentaries and things as well um, but the main thing is, if you know, the Bible is uh, the authority for Christianity, for fundamental Christianity is the Bible, and oftentimes what cults will do is they will in, they will give you some sort of uh, biblical sounding explanation that uh, that adds a few things and takes away a few things, and and then it takes you somewhere completely contradictory to the bible. And so I think it's very important to read the scripture, to pray and you know, to ask God to help you give you clarification of what the bible is saying. And oftentimes I've noticed this myself where if I'm taught something so much on a passage or a chapter in the Bible or anything um, I begin to think that's what it says and then when I read it carefully or I hear uh, another viewpoint I look at it again and realize that it didn't clearly say what it didn't clearly say what the pastor told me or the doctrine that I'd heard and so you know sometimes we can read it and we just filter it through that you know whatever we were taught and so it's very important to read and believe exactly what it says and sometimes it's good to listen to other viewpoints because what that does is oftentimes they'll give you a biblical argument for what they believe and it's not so much that you agree with them but sometimes you listen and sometimes i listen to somebody else and they oftentimes will point out something that I never saw before and perhaps a weakness in my own view so um, and I'm talking about biblical arguments here I'm not talking about commentaries or some revelation I'm talking about the Bible itself and um, so that's why it's good to to listen and have discussions not arguments you know um, to have a discussion with other people um, biblical discussions and how we see things differently and sometimes that we, we can learn from that you know but i say all that to say there's so many commentaries so many cults so many um new doctrines and and things that um it's it you know a lot of people brought up in a certain way of thinking and they um, didn't realize that that's not what the Bible says at all, even though they have it in front of them, you know. And that's how deceptive and subtle Satan is. So that is the end of this podcast. I hope you have a, a wonderful day. Once again, if you need to get a hold of me, please email me at truthtransistorradio@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you and have a wonderful day.